Welcome back to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility, focusing on dancers and other aesthetic athletes. This is the founder of Bendy Bodies, Dr. Linda Bluestein, here today to interview the co-founder of Bendy Bodies, Jennifer Milner. And welcome to Benny Bodies. Hello, thank you. <laughs> so I'm super excited to chat with you today about stretching, getting the most flexibility that a dancer can in a safe way, and things like overstretching. Um, but some listeners are new to the podcast, probably, and so could you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a retired dancer. Um, I danced professionally as a ballet dancer and as a musical theater dancer and enjoyed that for several years before uh, an injury took me out of performing. And along that way, I um, learned about my body and that my hypermobile body wasn't normal and that not everybody took their shoulders out of the socket. So I had to start learning how to take care of myself in that respect. When I stopped dancing, I became a certified Pilates teacher and realized I really loved working with dancers. Um, I worked for Westside Dance Physical Therapy in New York City for a long time, working as the um, official PT clinic for New York City Ballet and training dancers from all across the world. And now that I live in Texas, I train dancers still, thanks to Zoom, from all across the world, um, specializing in hypermobility, just trying to pass on some of the hard fought lessons that I have, have learned myself. And then, um, you know, learning a lot from you as well. <laughs> well, great. Well, yeah, I've, I've learned so much from you already and I've wanted to have this conversation for such a long time. So I'm <laughs> super excited, super, super excited. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot. The, um, so you work a lot with hypermobile dancers, but I'm sure you also work with some that are not hypermobile, um, particularly when it comes to stretching and injury, what are some of the differences that you observe between those two groups? Well, so first of all, it's important to say that you can be hypermobile for a lot of different reasons, that hypermobile simply means, as you know, because I hear you say this all the time, um, that you have a greater range of motion than normal in a specific joint. So you might have greater range of motion just in one joint. Um, you might have lots of joints in your body that are hypermobile. You might have hypermobility and other issues that go along with it, right? So um, it's a huge um, topic that is a, a big umbrella that covers a lot of different aspects of it. But um, today, I just wanna talk about joint hypermobility and leaving the other issues out of it and kind of setting that to the side. So if we're looking at a joint, why might a joint be hypermobile? Well, for one, it could be um, the shape of your bones. Um, if we're looking at your hips, one hip socket isn't always the perfect replica of the other hip socket. In fact, it rarely is. So if we imagine, um, and as a lot of dancers know, maybe your left has a little bit more turnout than your right. That could be soft tissue, but it could also be that you just have a slightly different shape to your socket. So if we think about a bowl, and if we have a really nice shallow bowl 
and we have a spoon with a long handle on it, we can do a lot of stirring in that bowl with the spoon. And the spoon can go to all the different corners of the bowl and it can really angle steeply as you're kind of whisking it around. Now, if we transfer that bowl or transform it into um, a really deep bowl or even a tall glass, and imagine that spoon in the glass and how the spoon's hitting the edge over and over again. Um, along the rim. So it's a very different kind of excursioning and different kind of movement. And that's purely based on the shape of the bowl, which is the shape of your hip. So you might have a really nice loose joint in one hip and not as loose in the other hip, purely based on your bones. Um, you could also have um, sort of isolated joint laxity. You could have, um, when we talk about the, the things that kind of are in your joint, we have ligaments which connect bone to bone, and then we have tendons which connect muscle to bone. Um, and those are sort of what gives structure and support to that joint. And then of course, attach the muscles. And so for whatever reasons, you might have looser ligaments just in one particular joint, right? Um, your knee, for example, you might have loose ligaments in your knee and you might have a patella a kneecap that has a tendency to slip off and subluxate or even dislocate. At the same time, you might have a knee that tends to dislocate because the muscles are actually tighter and those tight muscles are pulling the kneecap off track some. So you could have what we would call hypermobility in that knee, talking about the knee dislocating, but it might be actually because of tightness and not because you have super loose connective tissue. Um, and then another reason that you might have a hypermobile joint would be connective tissue quality. Your ligaments, your tendons, your joint capsules, your fascia might all be um, built differently than a lot of people. You might manufacture collagen differently than other people do. And that would mean that your a lot of your joint capsules, a lot of your joints would have a different movement quality and a different structural stability than a lot of other people's. Um, and if that joint capsule is less firm and less structurally sound, then it might mean that your muscles are actually, again, more tight as your muscles are trying to do the job of your connective tissue. Um, and then finally, for hypermobility, you might have um, what I would call an artificial hypermobility. You may not have been born with it, but you may have stretched yourself and done some of this overstretching that we're talking about to encourage a joint that is now a hypermobile joint. So you've pushed for it. But in stretching, you haven't just stretched your muscles, you've stretched the entire joint capsule. And we'll get into that um, in a little bit, right? So if I'm working with a hypermobile person, I often see, as I just mentioned, joint instability. That will be an issue for me. I'll see that they have a lot of difficulty controlling their body, that they can't quite tell their body what to do and have it respond as quickly as people um, who may not be hypermobile. Um, I see them, they don't necessarily stretch for the aesthetics of it because they don't think they need to stretch, especially if they're super hypermobile and they're really floppy, but they might tell me that they feel really tight because their muscles in comparison, again, like we were talking, are doing the work of those joint capsules and, those, and that connective tissue. So the muscles are actually really tight. Um, as far as injuries would go with the hypermobile population, I see connective tilly a connective tissue injuries such as um, Achilles tendinopathies, um, SI joint instability, things along that line where the connective tissue again is being asked to handle a load and it's not really qualified to do the job. So I'll see those low grade connective tissue injuries um, pretty frequently with them. And with them, if I was gonna see 
say a hamstring strain, I would see that hamstring strain more frequently at the origin of the hamstring, right where it attaches to the sits bones. And I would see it in that the tendon where the hamstring connects um, because they might use it as a stabilizer. If you think about someone going into a ponche where they're standing on one leg and the leg behind them goes into an arabesque and they go so far on the arabesque that that foot is pointing to the ceiling. So they're in a nice six o'clock ponche, but that standing leg, they're really resting back into that hyperextended knee and they're leaning all the way into the back of that hip socket and that poor little hamstring tendon is working really hard. So that's a common place for me to see a hamstring issue in the hypermobile population. So in the non-hypermobile population, I would say I see maybe 80% of non-hypermobile dancers come to me and say, I need to work my flexibility. <laughs> I need to work on getting more, more flexible, more stretchy, more bendy. And they are often frustrated with it because they feel like they've been working on it and they're not getting anywhere with it. Um, if I see an, an injury in them, if I see a hamstring injury in them, it's going to be more likely to be an injury in the belly of their hamstring, like in the, 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 the meat of the muscle of the, the middle of their thigh, the back of their thigh, rather than all the way up on their sits bone, because they're stretching that muscle a lot when it's not really prepared to, and they're kind of pushing it too far in that stretch, and the muscle is going to recoil and protect itself so that it can repair. So I'll see more muscular issues with them, um, maybe using the wrong hip flexor muscle for extension as they try to get their leg even higher. So I'll see a little bit different approaches to the way that they move and just different needs for each of them. And of course, all of this is being said with the huge generality, like nobody fits exactly that mold. So, you know, these are just speaking in generalities, like what I generally see. Sure. And I'm glad that you explained about uh, hypermobility and than joint instability because those are separate things, right? The joint instability, the keeping the joint in proper alignment as compared to joint hypermobility, meaning that it has excessive range of motion. So, um, and then you were talking about some of the injuries, which um, is very helpful pointing out some of the differences that, that you see. Do you see those differences, whether it's an overuse injury or a traumatic injury, or do you see traumatic injuries differently in one population as compared to the other? That's a really interesting question. The vast majority of the injuries that I see, and keeping in mind, I'm not a physical therapist, so people may not come to me when they are fresh out of a trauma, right? But the vast majority of the injuries that I see are overuse injuries, mm -hmm. um, especially because I work with so many hypermobile people. They kind of right. seek me out. So I can recognize if a tendinopathy is starting to creep up in or a, a bad pattern. And I can say, hey, we've got to get on top of that before it becomes something bigger. Um, the biggest exception to that would be ankle injuries, because in my hypermobile population, you know, I do see a lot of sprained ankles and ankle rolls. And no matter how strong and how hard they come back from it, once you've sprained an ankle, you're at such a high risk to, to sprain your ankle again. Because again, we're stretching out those ligaments and they don't bounce back the way that muscle does. So traumatic injury, I would say more, um, more ankle sprains. Um, but usually with the hypermobile population, I would say I see more, um, more overuse injuries. And then in the non-hypermobile population, I see more overuse as well. But again, it's more muscular. I see those muscles the wrong muscles working, which might lead to having some sort of a, a, a tendon or ligament issue. 
Okay. That's so helpful. Let's talk about overstretching. So can you start out by telling us what is overstretching and what are some of the problems that might occur? So when we're talking about overstretching, we're talking about trying to take that joint into a bigger range of motion than it's built for, right? Than it's actually designed to go. Uh, Most commonly people will overstretch their hips and their knees. Some people think that it's very desirable right now to have hyperextended knees and to have that kind of backward swoop to the knee. So if people don't have that big hyperextension in their knees, they might try to stretch and achieve that hyperextension in their knees. And then the hips get stretched out, whether people mean it or not, when they're doing oversplits. Because again, some people consider it desirable to have that oversplit for your jumps for your grand sodashas and grand jetés and to have that hypersplit in the air. Um, when we're, when we're talking about the joint, though, when we're talking about overstretching, we're actually talking about stretching all that connective tissue. We're not talking about the muscles that attach inside the joint that are coming to the joint. We're talking about hanging in that joint in your oversplits. You're stretching the capsule of the hip. You're stretching all the te- tendons and ligaments that are around it. And you're not really effectively targeting the muscles that are crossing that joint. So it's... So people think that they're, or I think that they think they're stretching their muscles, but they're actually really stretching all of that passive connective tissue. And I talk about how it's like, if your muscles are a rubber band and we can pull that rubber band and stretch it and you can feel that energy build up and then you release it and it comes back together, which is why we have to stretch for our splits every day. We can't just like stretch once and be like, got it and never have to do it again. (laughs) Although that would be so great. Um, but, but if your muscles are like that rubber band, then I talk about how your connective tissue, your joint capsules, your ligaments and tendons, they're like silly putty or Aaron's thinking putty and you stretch it and it stays like that. It's not going to rebound and come back together magically. And that's why with an ankle sprain, once you've stretched that ligament, it's going to stay stretched. And so with an ankle sprain, you have to work to get the muscles to do a better job to stabilize that ankle because the ligaments won't. Same thing with your hips. If you've overstretched that connective tissue, then you don't have that labrum, which is kind of a docking port for your um, femur. You don't have that labrum doing the job that it's supposed to be doing, right? So if you're doing overstretching, then you could have um, loose connective tissue, you have capsular instability, um, you could have poor proprioception, proprioception, which is your body's awareness of where you are in space. Um, You'll have reduced sort of passive muscle tension. Um, If you think about when you have pizza dough, you can either have like one really small pizza with a really thick crust, or you can stretch it and have a much thinner crust for a bigger pizza. And as you're stretching that crust, sometimes it'll get really, really thin and it'll be transparent. And you'll think this is not going to be enough to hold my pizza toppings. So we're stre- <laughs> we're stretching that muscle and it's getting really kind of window pane thin there, perhaps not, not really, but it's getting thin there. And so it's not going to have what it needs to have that immediate firing, that immediate work and that we're talking about the muscle here. So as we're stretching it and taking it into those further reaches, we're not going to have that muscle tension that we need to be able to do what we want in a really fast manner. Um, That sort of limp overstretched capsule is not going to be able to absorb force for your big jumps and for your big moves. If you think about 
those high bouncy balls, those really hard rubber balls, when you bounce it, it bounces way back up high. But if you take like a hacky sack ball with um, like rice filling or something and you throw it on the ground, it just kind of splats and stays there and doesn't rebound. So we don't want to be like a hacky sack ball. We want to have that strength and that tension to be able when it drops for it to reabsorb that energy right away and go right back up. We want to be able to take that 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 force that's going into the ground, store it all up as that potential energy and immediately turn it back into that kinetic energy and fire up. And if you are overstretched or if your your joint, your capsule is overstretched, that energy, that force just dissipates and it's all gone. And then you have to start all over again and regather that force to be able to jump. So every single jump feels like your first jump. <laughs> and the first jump's the hardest. And once you get going, it's easier, right? But if we have those overstretched capsules, you're going to feel that you're going to have a slower response time. You might have lower jumps. You might be faster to fatigue. So there's a whole host of things that can happen with that. And even if it's if if it's artificial hypermobility, you're going to experience that as well. Um, I just got a new dancer who has come to me because she spent a couple of years working with um, a stretch coach and said she is having a lot of trouble jumping and she couldn't figure out why. And I can tell by working with her that we're going to have a lot to do to build up those muscles again, to get them to come back online faster and have a faster response time because she now has that artificial hypermobility to her. And her dance teacher said her plie just kind of dies. And you can see that. You can see that energy just kind of kind of dies with it, right? Um, and the other thing you want to think about with overstretching is as you're opening up one side of your capsule or one side of your joint, what's happening to the other side of the joint? So as you're stretching the back of your knee, if you've got your, if you're sitting on the floor and you've got one foot up on a chair and you're just pushing that knee down, the back of your knee is opening up. What's happening to the front? You're putting a whole lot of pressure on your meniscus in there. You're putting a whole lot of pressure in there that doesn't need to be happening and isn't super healthy for it. Um, or if you think about, if you think about those foot stretchers <laughs> and how when you use it, you're trying to stretch open the front of that arch to give you that nice arch, but what you're stretching isn't really the arched part of your foot. You're stretching higher up on the ankle. And as you're opening that up, you're pinching the back of the ankle. And as you're pinching back of the ankle, especially if it's in someone who's not finished growing, um, we've had some studies suggest that that can actually encourage the growth of an ostrigonum in the back of the ankle, um, which is that bone that can inhibit going to a full point, to a nice full point. So as you're opening up the top of the foot, you're pinching and putting a lot of impingement pressure on the back of that ankle, which can lead to a lot of Achilles tendinopathies, FHL tendinopathies, um, posterior tib tendinopathy. So one thing might be getting longer and looser, but you're putting pressure on something somewhere else. So there's going to be some sort of a, um, a give and take if you're doing overstretching and it may not be what you're hoping for. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like it's not what it's cracked up to be and that you could be thinking this is such a great idea, but you lose other things in the process quite significantly. Not that it's just not effective for stretching. So is overstretching ever indicated? I have a really hard time thinking of a time when it would be indicated to overstretch. I know there are people sometimes that come to me that feel like they can't straighten their knees all the way. And in dance, you at least have to have the look of having a straight straight leg, right? We're not looking for hyperextended necessarily, but at least a straight leg. And 
sometimes that's your, your bony structure. Again, that's the way your knee fits together, your femur and your tibia. Uh, and sometimes it's because you have really tight connective tissue in the back of your leg and people can have tight connective tissue. Um, the back of your knee is where your calf, big calf muscle crosses your hamstring. So your hamstrings come down behind the knee, your calf comes up behind the knee and they cross. There's a lot of connective tissue that can happen back there. And if it's really tight for some reason, um, then that can inhibit the fact that your knee can straighten. So I may do really, really safe exercises of contracting their hamstring and their quad at the same time to try to get that leg to learn how to work in a straight and long position. Um, and it might seem to the dancer like I'm helping move their knee into an overstretched position, but we're never passively stretching it. We're working it to try to get there. And then we do other exercises to try to release behind the knee. So even for them, I wouldn't advocate sitting in an overstretch for that spot. So I guess the short answer is no. <laughs> Not that I can think of. There might be one that exists, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and what are some of the other unsafe uh, stretching practices that you see? Um, well, related to overstretching, I might see um, people adding weight to the stretch, um, like a friend sitting on their back when they're in the straddle splits to try to push them closer to the ground. Or um, if you've got one leg up on the chair, you know, trying to put books on your knee to press your knee closer to the ground. So adding weight. I mean, if I don't want you to sit there in the first place, adding weight's certainly not going to be moving in the correct direction um, of making it better. <laughs> but uh, also, I would say static stretching in general. There have been lots of studies in the past five to 10 years that have said static stretching doesn't really prepare you to dance and it doesn't really decrease your chance of injury. Um, and especially coming out of Australia, the Australian ballet, their studies show that strength training actually is better for you than passive stretching um, as far as increasing your flexibility. So static stretching may have a place at the end of the day, at the end of your dance day, um, to hang out in them for, for a few gentle seconds, um, but definitely not something that I would want to see at the beginning of dance or in the middle of class when you're still trying to dance, still trying to work. That makes sense. And you've been um, working with hypermobile dancers for, for many years. Um, what, if any, signs have you observed that a dancer needs to be particularly vigilant when it comes to these kind of um, stretching practices that, that can be unsafe? I'll have dancers say, I'm feeling a lot of pain in the back of my knee. Like when I stand at bar on one leg, the back of my knee gets really tired. And if I have them show me what they do, they're locking their knee and I can see them hanging back in their hyperextension or trying to push back into a hyperextension and not supporting the back of their knee with, with their muscles. So I might see that um, if dancers tell me that they're feeling a pulled muscle or a muscle strain pretty regularly, that'll be a sign to me that they're not warming up well or that they're trying to do too much static stretching. And so we'll talk through the routine that they've got before class starts to make sure that they're priming themselves well by doing dynamic stretching instead of passive. Um, chronic hip issues, you know, popping hips is really common in a lot of dancers and is not something that you should ever go, well, it doesn't hurt, so I'm sure it's fine, right? Um, if something's popping regularly, that that should get looked at. We should talk about why it's happening. And it's usually a biomechanical issue of your body trying to make a shortcut. 
you either don't have enough strength where you should have it, or you're trying to force a range of motion that you don't comfortably have or both. So if there's chronic hip issues, I'm going to say, hey, let's look at what you're doing in your stretching. Let's make sure the right muscles are coming online. Let's make sure we have access to everything we need access to. And let's make sure you have the strength to hold your end range of motion as well. Um, and then I, I also have seen and heard, you know, a big increase just in the past five, maybe 10 years of serious hip issues, serious hip issues in the younger dancer. And, and I do think that there is a correlation between that and the overstretching um, and the number of hip surgeries that we're seeing, hip replacements in teenagers that we're seeing, mm. um, which is just crazy to me. Um, so I, I do think that's one of the biggest areas we see and who knows what we're going to see 10 years from now. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's tragic. I mean, you know, that, but it makes sense that like you were saying about the labrum and then, you know, pulling on the, the vascular structures and the mm -hmm. ligamentum teres and all these things. I mean, hips are not meant to go into those positions with the femur, you know, angulating th this direction and the you know, being pushed down, it's just not, right? just not, not anatomically correct at all. Yeah. Um, okay. Those are, those are a lot of great uh, pointers. I know you can't get inside the heads of the dance teachers who advocate some of these overstretching um, practices. Do you have any ideas though, as to why they might be doing those types of practices in their studio? Right. Well, I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's a lot of teachers out there going, Hey, let's see how I can ruin my kids and mess right. up their lives. Right? right. So I think that the vast majority of dance teachers are acting from a place of trying actively trying to help the kids be better dancers and move forward in their career. Um, I think most dance teachers genuinely don't understand these practices and the ramifications of them, even though these dance teachers may have their own issues. Um, you know, I've worked with dance teachers who have said, oh my gosh, I just realized my hip issues are because of the way that I used to, to stretch or to the things I used to do when I was dancing. Like, I just thought, oh, bad luck, I'm a dancer. But now I can realize, oh, it's because of this thing that I did. So I think if we, if they could see, hey, they're going to get a hip replacement when they're 20. If you keep doing these sorts of things, I don't think there's a lot of teachers who would be like, eh, it's worth it. I think that they would, <laughs> I think they would go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. And there's also, you know, dance studios operate on a very thin profit margin and they're, they're always working hard just to keep the doors open. And so you're constantly trying to stay competitive and trying to keep up and make sure that you can attract dance students. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, entering competitions, whether you're a competition school or a ballet school, competitions are everywhere now. And when you go in these competitions, you want the judges to score you high so that you can talk about that to bring in more students. Your students want things they can put on Instagram. So they want the fancy stuff that looks cool. Your students see the stuff on social media and they say, I want to do that. Will you help me do it? So I think these teachers are going, well, I see it. Everybody else is doing it. I've got to try to keep up. And I do honestly think that as teachers become better educated on this, as we get the word out, um, I do think the pendulum is going to, I think it actually is starting to swing back in the other direction. It's, it's mostly just not knowing and trying really hard to just stay 
competitive in today's in today's market. And and I think um, and I think some of it too comes from when we were dancers, right? We just take what was done with us and we keep doing it and hand it down. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've taught a dance class and said something and gone, what just came out of my mouth? That was my <laughs> teacher. I kept it. Do I really believe that? I just said that. And, and I think, so we kind of instinctively move in that sort of fashion, but the world has moved so much faster. The dance world has moved so much faster. I mean, I have 10 year olds coming to me for help on their all-a-second turns. And when I was 10, I couldn't do an all-a-second turn at all. Wow. Like, no way. I, don't, I couldn't even do one when I was 20, probably. But, but it gets so much harder at such a younger age. So we right. take the rules that applied to us when we were younger and forget that dance is moving so much faster and so much more extreme um, than when we were dancing. So I think it's a combination of things. Wow, that's that blows me away because right. I, I think probably when I was in my early 20s or something, maybe I would have done that like a handful of times. And maybe I don't even think I ever did it in a performance, but um yeah, to be doing that at age 10, that that is really mm -hmm. crazy. So obviously for most forms of dance, flexibility is extremely important and aesthetics are important. You want the nice lines and everything. So what are some alternatives to overstretching and other unsafe practices in order to optimize and maximize flexibility? Well, flexibility is the key word here because we want to be flexible. We don't want to be hypermobile. We don't want to force right. hypermobility, right? And so when people say, you know, I want to work on stretching, that's different than saying, I want to work on my flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I want people to get through their head that any good program that's going to work with you on increasing your range of motion will work on your strength just as much as it's going to work on your stretching. Um, so there's two types of stretching. And I mentioned earlier, there's dynamic and static stretching. And dynamic is going to be using that muscle through an entire range of motion um, with muscle activation, right? So sitting in the splits is going to be a static stretch. Doing a grand bat ma is going to be a dynamic stretch because you're going to stretch your hamstring on the way up. And if you're working hard to bring it back down, you're going to use that hamstring to bring it back down. So you're going to take it through a range of motion without stopping in any one spot and staying there. And that really primes the pump. It brings, um, it oxygenates the muscle. It brings awareness to it. And it's kind of like booting up your, your computer and getting it ready to work for the day, but your computer is your body. So dynamic stretching is the key at the beginning of class, when you're trying to increase your flexibility, using those dynamic stretches and making sure you go through that full range of motion. Um, if you feel really tight, then working with someone who understands the safe principles of building flexibility is gonna be so important. You want to know that there's a difference between neural tension, um, connective tissue tightness, like um, the way you're built, like your joint capsules, fascial tightness. Um, so neural tension, like your nerves might not glide through your body as smoothly as they can. It's like when you floss, um, if you feel it gets stuck on something and that floss doesn't slide as smoothly, well, that, that might be your nerves getting stuck somewhere and going like, ah, oh, I feel like I can't go any further. And then you just try to like force it that can really hurt. So with nerves, you want to kind of floss it and they stretch, they don't stretch, but you release them in a different way than you'd release a muscle. Um, so knowing something like that, um, as opposed to fascial tightness, which is like, um, 
having a piece of saran wrap kind of stuck to you and then expecting the muscles underneath you to be able to glide smoothly. And the saran wrap is kind of stuck and not letting the muscles do the move that they need to. So you may have some fascial work that needs to happen to be released as well. Or it could truly be muscle tightness. Is it muscle tightness because the joint is unstable and the muscles are doing the work that they don't necessarily weren't designed to do? Or are the muscles just built tight? And then we want to work on trying to figure out how to release them. So working with someone who really understands how to spot the difference between the kinds of tightness and the appropriate ways to try to release through them, whether it's, um, you know, releasing with a ball or doing dynamic stretching or different modalities um, is going to be super important to, to try to figure out how to get the most out of your flexibility. And then of course, making sure that you also know how to strengthen that full range of motion, that you're not just contracting your hamstring in a short range of motion, but you're making it work at, um, at your active insufficiency as well, and not just in a nice hamstring curl. So all of those things um, are going to imp improve your flexibility, but you want to make sure that you're doing them correctly. So getting eyes on you is a really great way to do that. Sure. And, and, um, all of that makes a lot of sense. And then in terms of uh, dancers, dance parents who are trying to find a studio or an instructor that supports safe stretching practices, safe practices for improving flexibility, um, where, where do you suggest that they can find that kind of information or sort that out for themselves? Well, there's a lot of great resources on the internet now, thankfully. So we're both members of IADAMS, the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science. And you can go to iadams.org and they've got a directory of different practitioners across the country. So that's a great way to find someone near you. There's also Doctors for Dancers, which I think is doctorsfordancers.com. Um, and they also have a directory as well as Dance Medica, which is D-A-N-S-E, Medica, all one word. Um, and Dance Medica has a great directory of practitioners as well. So you can do it. You can find people local to you or you can find people who Zoom. Um, a lot of people Zoom now and that's made it a lot easier to find things like that. Um, so you don't necessarily have to find someone in your backyard. And if you're going to look for a group program because you can't really afford a lot of privates because privates are expensive for sure, um, we have got um, our very own Jen Crane, who is uh, a fellow Bendy Body team member. She has got the MyFlex program out, which is a fantastic flexibility program that does release work as well as strengthening. So if you're going to try to find a group program that you can buy and download that you work through at your own pace without someone supervising you, you really want to look into who wrote it how, what, what, who are they? Are they a physical therapist? Are they a retired dance teacher? Where does their knowledge come from? And um, what kind of results matter to them? Like, do they want to point and say, look at this super bendy person? Or do they want to say this person's been healthy and dancing for 10 years? <laughs> so do your research if you're going to try to do a group program online as well, because you won't have somebody supervising you closely. Sure. That, that's good. And so you could even, if you were looking for a studio, you could even, um, I, I Adams would have some dance teachers in there as well. Right. And so, and I believe dance Medica now is also open to, to dance teachers, but you could maybe also ask someone like yourself, what studios in, in Dallas, what, you know, what do you recommend for 
my child who is, you know, 12 years old, very serious pre-professional, you know, what, what do you know about the local studios and, and what do you recommend? Absolutely. Be- and, and it's important to remember that you just want to find that one person. We always talk about that. Find that one person who is really knowledgeable. And even if this isn't their lane, they can help you find the person that will help you in that lane. Um, I have dancers all the time ask me for referrals for studios. I'm not strongly affiliated with any studio, so I can speak pretty honestly about all the different studios that I've worked with. And I know there are other people out there like me that do the same thing. Um, And I have worked with dance studios all across the world. So I can provide input in that way. Um, And sometimes I'll just scrub through companies or studios social media, you can learn a lot just sort of looking through there, seeing what what do they hold up? What do they hold up and, and value? So you can do a lot of your own kind of detective work online, but then, yeah, you can absolutely find someone like me. Um, and I'm happy to chat through different options if I know anything about the places you're looking at. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful offer. And in terms of the hypermobile dancers themselves, um, what would what do you wish that every hypermobile dancer knew about flexibility? Flexibility is an aesthetically pleasing range of motion to me, right? And people, what I wish that everybody understood was that flexibility is strength and a full range of motion. So to me, that's what flexibility is. It's that how people talk about how gentleness is controlled, controlled strength and flexibility is controlled range of motion and having a really aesthetically pleasing full range of motion, but also having the strength to control it. Mm -hmm. Everybody says I can hold my leg over my head if I use my arm, but as soon as I let go, my leg falls. Well, Giselle's not allowed to use her hand to hold her (laughs) leg over her head. So (laughs) you better figure out a way to do it. (laughs) So having the strength, and that's what I wish people with hypermobility understood, um, is find someone to help you get that strength. And the right person isn't going to try to limit you and hold you to 90 degrees or tell you, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. They're going to say, you want to lift your leg over your head. Okay. Let's figure out a way to give you the strength to do it safely. Sure. And um, can you uh, wrap up by telling us where people can find you? And was there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to share with people today? I think as far as things that I, that we didn't talk about yet, um, just overstretching is a complicated issue because it's a decision made as a, as a young dancer, as a professional dancer, um, you might feel like you're in an uncomfortable position when your school tells you to overstretch, you might feel pressure from competitions where judges have made comments that you feel like you need to do more of that work. So I get that it's a complicated conversation, I'm not always the best person for that conversation because there's just limits that I'm not willing to go past to try to make you a more marketable dancer. Um, And I think it's good to have someone like that in your corner. (laughs) So um, I know it can be complicated and we're certainly not trying to vilify all the people who have done overstretching. We just want to bring that in for more information so that people can make more informed decisions and understand the inherent dangers and concerns behind doing a lot of passive overstretching like that. As far as where people can find me, um, you can go to my website, jennifer-milner, M-I-L-N-E-R.com. 
Um, you can find me at Bendy Bodies, of course, Bendy underline bodies on Instagram, or you can find me on Instagram at Jennifer period Milner. Terrific. And we will have links to all of that on the on the show notes, as well as the links to the organizations that that uh, Jennifer mentioned. So, well, great. Well, it's been fabulous to chat with you. And you all have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. Today, we've been chatting with the co-founder of Bendy Bodies, Jennifer Milner. It was Yay. great to chat with you. And <laughs> great to chat with you. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience will as well. So thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other aesthetic athletes. If you found this information valuable, please share it with a colleague or friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at bendy underscore bodies and our website is www.bendybodies.org. If you want to follow Bendy Bodies founder and co-host Dr. Bluestein on Instagram, it's at hypermobilitymd, all one word, and her website is www.hypermobilitymd.com. If you want to follow co-host Jennifer Milner on Instagram, it's at Jennifer period Milner, M-I-L-N-E-R. And her website is www.jennifer-milner.com. Thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. We want to hear from you. Please email us at info at bendybodies.org to share feedback. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-host and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease as this information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please refer to your local qualified health practitioner for all medical concerns. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast.